Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the new and improved Football Garbage Time NFL podcast. My name is Hakun Wong. I am the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time, and with me, as always, is senior staff writer Ryan Whitfield. How you doing, Ryan? Uh, coming live to you from the car and uh, doing good, <laughs> getting ready for championship weekend. And getting ready for another snowmageddon, right? I mean, aren't you guys going to get a bunch of snow up there as well? Praying for a work-from-home day tomorrow, boy. <laughs> Ever since you said it, I'm like, snow day. I can deal with that. I can deal with snow day. <laughs> All right. We got, a, we got a lot to talk about this week. We're going to be talking about some of the uh, surprising results of the divisional playoff weekend. And then we're going to preview and predict the uh, two conference championship games, Jacksonville Jaguars at the New England Patriots, as well as the Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. I have to say, almost all those teams are a little bit surprising to me, except for the Patriots. So there's going to be a lot to talk about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this started. All right, let's start first to the divisional of the divisional playoff games. You know, the Eagles beat the Falcons, the Patriots beat the Titans, but the Jaguars ended up beating the Steelers, and the Vikings just managed to beat the Saints. So let's talk about that last game first. Let's talk about that last play of the last game first, because that was probably all over social media, all over TV. I'm sure anybody who watched it live was really excited, whether you were a Saints or Vikings fan or not. And just to recap, the Saints had hit a 43-yard field goal with just 64 seconds left, coming back from a 17-point deficit to take a two-point lead. And then when Minnesota got the ball back, after one completion and two incompletions, it was third and 10 from the Vikings' 39-yard line, with just 10 seconds left. Let me just say, at that point in time, if somebody said, I'll give you a million-to-one odds that Keenum is going to complete a 61-yard pass to Stephon Diggs and they're going to win this in a walk-off fashion, I would not have taken that deal. All right? I just would not. The two previous incompletions did not look good to me. But anyway, the impossible came next. Keenum hooked up with Diggs for a 61-yard walk-off touchdown for the win. Marcus Williams of the Saints had a shot, but ended up rolling under Diggs, taking out his own guy. First ever walk-off touchdown in a playoff game during regulation. What are your thoughts here, Ryan? Was it luck or was this skill? Um, so allow me to deviate for a moment, if you will. I think I have a reputation on this show of, of being a little bit sarcastic, um, a little <laughs> bit a little harsh, bit. and a little bit negative. <laughs> but I will tell you, that that play is the reason why sports is the best form of entertainment to ever exist. Yeah, that totally moment, agree. if you if you do not choke up, if you do not get uh, hairs up on the back of your neck and whatever cliche you want to use, um, then you don't have a pulse. Because that moment, and, and not just the play, because the play is, is brilliant and electrifying, but yeah. the, the, the crowd, Diggs ripping his helmet off, throwing his hands up, being tackled down into the tunnel, the pandemonium. Yep. I mean, that is that is everything as a child, you know, the inner child in me still loves about, about the game of football and sports. That was one of the most magical moments um, I can ever uh, remember in, in, a, in a sporting event. Um, yep. To, to go further, um, to even surprise our, probably our listeners a little bit more, 
Um, my heart goes out to Marcus Williams. Um, I think he had a great rookie season. I think he's a great player. Um, and, and that's just, that's you know, it reminds me of, uh, God, I'm going to forget the kid's name. I think his name was Wong uh, it, from the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, the kid who got picked off in first of the World Series against the Red Sox back in 2013. There's just there's certain right. moments where you just feel so bad uh, for an individual player and person. Um, and obviously this had shades of Raheem Moore years ago against the Ravens uh, when he blew a, a deep play uh, when uh, Jacoby Jones got over the top and beat the Broncos in the 2012 playoff. Um, that's a hard moment. Now let me turn back to being my normal self and say, Sean Payton, you suck. You are an absolute <laughs> clown sitting there mocking the fans with your there we go. the skull champ back at him as you blow that's more it, like it as you blow it again as you've only won one thing ever, and still the, the, the quote-unquote gutsiest call would have gone down as the stupidest call in the history of the Super Bowl had that onside kick never worked. You are an idiot. Yep. You suck. You're a jackass, and you got what you deserve. Go Vikings. <laughs> so there we go. That is exactly what I expected to hear uh, from you on, on this entire thing. Uh, let me just so just just that note that uh, reference you made to the 2013 World Series that was Colton Wong. I actually remember that because I was excited there was a Wong, another Wong uh, actually in the uh, MLB, but uh, I wasn't excited about that one. And I hate the Cardinals, so that was a kind of double whammy for me. But anyway, uh, going back to this game, let me just say that um, you are absolutely right. I was rooting for the Saints to win this game when that play happened I didn't care who I was rooting for I was just rooting for the game of football that was exciting stuff that was exciting stuff but let me ask you about Marcus Williams because there are a lot of a lot of questions about what he was doing there and how that turned out the way he did because he, he did have a shot and it looked like it was an easy shot because Diggs was up in the air but he kind of went low kind of went under his legs ended up taking his own guy out leaving it completely open he was the safety he was the guy back there he was the last man standing what do you think about that play do you think he did the right thing do you think he screwed up was it just uh mistimed or you know what happened there do you think with marcus williams well i mean he certainly didn't do the right thing uh <laughs> nobody but your own teammate uh, right it's not ideal in that situation uh, right you know I, I think it's pretty i i think that people have, have over exaggerated the what was he thinking to the point that you know it, it's because it was such a shocking play but it's but it's not hard to con to conceptualize or think or, or put yourself in his shoes what he was thinking. Absolutely. What I think he was thinking was he was coming over to make a play and I think the and in those moments the game speeds up on some on some people and I think he got over there and he realizes well I can't tackle him out of bounds and at the angle he's coming at yep. now he has to worry about well I can't tackle him out of bounds because then they have a chance for a field goal. And then right. I think he realizes at the last second too I might be a little bit early here. I certainly can't take a flag and I think right. all of all of the pressure and all of the different things started racing through his mind in about a two-second frame, and then I think he just uh, will keep will keep the playoff team going alive. Uh, he pooped down his legs, uh, panicked, <laughs> ducked, and everything except for his own teammate. And uh, <laughs> so I think there was just I think I don't think that that he foresaw Diggs getting open to that, you know, because. It's clear he missed the play because he's the safety valve. But there's no way yeah. you can let Diggs get open on the sideline like that in the first place. The underneath guy allowed that to happen. I don't, remember, I don't remember if it was Marshawn Lattimore who was on that side. But whoever the underneath guy is blew his coverage too. They left way too much of a hole in the soft zone. All, all you have to do is keep him to the middle and you let somebody get to the sideline 
uh, on that play. So it was bad by everybody. Of course, he's going to be the GOAT for it. Um, but I think I think everything just kind of collided in that one moment, and he panicked, and I just, he just fell on his face, and you know, figuratively and literally. Yeah, no, and, and in fact, that was a lot of the discussion that happened before and after was the fact that people were saying that typically uh, as a defensive coordinator, you're telling your players in that situation, yeah, funnel them in, but do not, do not commit a PI. Do not commit a pass interference here. We cannot have that. That is an absolute no-no. And definitely don't tackle him out of bounds. And you're right. I mean, the guy's a rookie. He just he had a really good INT earlier in the game. So it's obviously not the only thing that he's done in the game. You know, he's done other great things during that game. So I, you're, I think you're right. I think the pressure was there. And he was thinking about all those things. Now, when I interviewed him afterwards, he took absolute responsibility. Total class act. I absolutely respect that. He took absolute responsibility. He said his mistake was he played the player as of making a play on the ball. He thought he, if he had it to do it again, he would have made a play on the ball instead of making a play on digs. And he made a play on digs and was low, and it looked like a complete whiff, and that's exactly what happened. So, hey, if that's what happened, that's what happened. He learns from it. I don't blame uh, Marcus Williams. I, I do blame the Saints coverage. I think it was actually – you, if you're going to have a situation like that where you're funneling them to the inside, you don't have just one safety roaming out there. You have a couple guys back there. You don't have one guy back there. You have more than one safety valve because you, for this exact situation, I mean, 10 seconds left, a third and yeah, 10, you don't let that happen. They were, and then the, 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 this is even further something that's been missed. If you go back and look at their formation before the play, on both sides, they have a guy about five yards deep uh, off the line of scrimmage standing on the sideline. What are you protecting right. against there? Let him yeah, catch right. five yards and go out of bounds, and then and then they only have fucking, uh, whoa, only have five seconds left. Uh, with uh, they only have five seconds left there at that play, and now they have to throw a hail mary. Like they, right. they were going to get a field goal in that situation. What are you protecting against there? It's just yep, another example of how overrated Sean Payton and that coaching staff is. They're a joke. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. Totally agree. Let's let, okay, well, so let's turn to uh, another another issue. Let's talk about the divisional playoffs generally. Now we talked about that game. What other than that play? What was the most surprising thing that happened during the divisional playoff weekend for you? Uh, well, I went three and one, and the only game I got wrong was the one where <laughs> the home team won fifteen to ten. So not a lot surprised me this weekend. All right. um, I'm going to say that how inept Darkeesian is because that Atlanta offense is just so wretchedly bad for all the talent they have. It's a joke. It is unbelievable yeah. how much they've gone and regressed. Like, even as much as I'm a Matt Ryan hater, the way that yep. offense regressed this year from even what it was two, three, four years ago, that is uh, – what a joke. What a I, – I, God, you can't you can't get anything. And I, I forget. I know it was either a field goal or a touchdown. They got some kind of points on a short field. I think it was a touchdown they scored off yep. that muscle yep. punt early too. So they really didn't sustain – really put together an entire drive the entire game. Um, which just isn't acceptable. I think Philadelphia's defense is good, but you have too much talent on that side of the ball to do that all night. Yeah, totally agree with that. I, I also thought that was very surprising how they both played. It was a very low-scoring, unproductive, inefficient game for both offenses, actually. I mean, if you look at what the Eagles did, they didn't really do much. You know, I mean, they didn't do much. Uh, it was all out of Elliott hitting field goals, and basically it was it. Uh, I mean, the fact it went down, came down to a last-minute stand on the goal line, I mean, that it just tells me that both teams aren't really that good. But let's um, pivot because there was another game that actually surprised me, and it was the Jaguars beating the Steelers. And, not, and it wouldn't surprise me because I expected the Steelers to win. I know you expected the Jaguars to win this one. But the score surprised me. I mean, the Jags put 45 points on the Steelers. 
and in Pittsburgh. And the Steelers stood up 42 points on the Jaguars. I, you know, I don't actually know what is more surprising, that a team that could only put up 10 points against the Bills the, the week before put up 45 points against the Steelers' defense or that the Steelers' defense, a Steelers' offense was able to get go against this very uh, vaunted Jaguars' defense and put up 42 points. Um, I don't know. It was crazy. And the fact that I expected Le'Veon Bell to carve up the Jaguars' defense, well, he did do that, but I did not expect Leonard Fournette to be so productive. Uh, 109 yards, 25 carries, whopping three touchdowns. I mean, what about, is it? I know you expected the Jaguars to win this one, but did any part of that game, the score, or any of that surprise you? Yeah, I mean, obviously they're surprising, uh, you know, uh, elements of that game. I, I'll say my quick synopsis, um, yeah, the Jaguars scored a lot, but they also had 14 points off a turnover. I mean, the Miles Jack turnover was inside, what, the 30? So, I mean, that's not much of a touchdown drive there. Um, right. The, 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 obviously the strip, uh, the strip stack. Uh, fumble, you know, taken yeah. back or the fumble, yeah, taken for a touchdown. Um, you know, I, I think the the Steelers putting up that many points. I mean, those were miraculous plays. The the two Antonio Brown catches, the the fourth and eleven bomb, which I thought was, when he threw that ball to to um, uh, Martavius Bryant, Bryant, I'm like, yeah. what do you do? Like, what a stupid call on fourth and eleven. Now, granted, it worked <laughs> out. So what do I know? But Tashawn Gibson <laughs> just took an absolute horrible angle on that play. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the Steelers are so dumb. They are. They're all hype. They'll always be hype. Mike Tomlin is, is, is not a good coach. It's just another systemic issue of how bad uh, the coaching is, is in this league. You had, um, you know, you got the, the world's softest zone uh, being played by the Steelers, not challenging Blake Bortles. I, I don't yeah. get it. Fourth and inches twice. They run stretch runs, which is the most maddening call in the history agree. of the NFL and teams totally do routinely. Agree. I don't understand when you need a half a yard why you run any kind of stretch play. All yeah. that play... The, Particularly the with Big Ben. Play, yeah. Right. It's, 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 the definition of that play allows time for, for a good defensive line to, to, get, uh, to get penetration. So you run a sweep, you run a stretch run, just stupid. And, and the, what is the biggest place the Jacksonville Jaguars are, are vulnerable? runs between the tackles, and they just yes. didn't commit to it. I don't get it. It was a was it? horrible game plan again. They overlooked them, um, and, and they and they got what they deserved. And as always, you know, Antonio Brown said after the game, we just can't get over the hump because you guys are all hyped. You don't have what it takes. And I'm so sick of the excuse-making from the – from the Steelers fans, Ryan Chazier is a nice player. And I'm sorry he's hurt, and I'm sorry to speak ill of somebody who's been hurt like that, but he's a nice player. He is not he, he is not Bobby Wagner. He is not a, a defense-altering <laughs> talent. He's not Khalil Mack. So just because he went down doesn't excuse how bad that defense played down the stretch. And it's yeah, systematic of the beginning of the year. Sorry, go. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, but, you know, I, I understand that. But, you know, I, I didn't expect the Pittsburgh defense to really step up here. I mean, I, I, I'm shocked at what the offense was doing. I thought the play calling was atrocious. I mean, do we put that on Todd Haley or do we put that on Mike Tomlin? Because I, I kind of put that on Todd Haley. I think he did a really crappy job calling this game. You know, I think it all starts with uh, Ben Roethlisberger has become a problem. How many times after the game is he going to come out calling out the coaches passive-aggressively, threatening retirement? He's become a baby, and, 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 he, and he does it, so it allows other players on the team to do it, and it's like the coaches have no control over the players there. The players run everything. They're all out of control. I just think that there's, there's just a lack of focus and discipline 
And, and yeah, and I, I think the game plan was horrible. Like I said, you, yep. you should have pounded Le'Veon Bell, and I'm not a proponent of the run game, um, but you should have pounded Le'Veon Bell 20 to 30 times directly between the tackles and made Absolutely. Jacksonville stop you on that, and they just didn't do yep. it. Yep. All right. Well, that's, uh, talking about that, those two teams, let's go, to, go ahead and flip over to the conference championship games. We're in the bell on that one. And talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars at the New England Patriots on Sunday at 3.05 p.m. Eastern time. A surprising matchup. I actually thought it was going to be the Steelers and the Patriots. I think a lot of people expected that. But we got Jags and Patriots. What do you think, uh, Ryan? What are your keys to the game for the Jags and for the Patriots? Yeah, so for the Jags, so I've done a lot of thinking on this game. Um, this is the matchup that has, I've been talking about for weeks to scare me um, because of the, 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 the type of defense Jacksonville has. Um, you know, a, a huge key, and I've gone back and really uh, looked on it, um, in those games where the Patriots got upset by elite defenses, uh, you know, 9 against, or we'll start with 7 or not 7 9 against the Ravens. You know, you have the Terrell Suggs strip sack on Brady. That leads yep. to a touchdown early in that game. Um, the, the 2010 game against the Jets, the Patriots drive right down the field. Brady then throw, overthrows a screen pass right to David Harris. He runs it back the other way. Um, yep. Sets up the Jets in good field position. The, the safety at the beginning of the 2011 Super Bowl against the Giants. Um, you know, so, so routinely when you go through the history, uh, you know, it, it, you got to get a good turnover on Brady early um, and, and really put the pressure on the Patriots and give your offense a short field. Um, yep. You know, for Jacksonville, you know, Blake Bortles has to make plays. I said this to you guys last week or to, to you and to our listeners last week, you know, this idea that you can just ball control against the Patriots is so stupid. That's not how you beat the Patriots, and they got proved again last week. The Patriots, when you have a, a weak quarterback, are going to stack the box, and credit to Marcus Mariota because that touchdown pass to Corey Davis was an elite throw, and, and that's what you have to do to beat the Patriots because they're not going to get beat by a running back. It won't happen. They're just not going to let Leonard Fournette get going. He's banged up, too, and, and they're just not going to let it happen. Um, for the Patriots, the keys to this game, um, offensively, to be patient, you know, similar to that 2014 Super Bowl and the Super Bowl last year, I picture a lot of, a lot of work to the backs, a lot of runs up the middle, um, and I think, I think this Jacksonville defense is good. I don't think there are 2015 Broncos said this last week. They're not the 2015 Broncos. They're not the 2013 Seahawks or the 2012 Ram, uh, Ravens. You know, I don't think they're that level yet. Um, so, you know, they're going to have to get some turnovers, but I, I still think the Patriots are going to score on them. This is a defense that did give up 44 points in San Francisco. And, yep. um, you know, so overall key, Blake Bortles has to, play, has to play better than he played all year. You know, he's getting a lot of credit this week, and undeservedly so. I'm sorry, he's been bad this postseason. He has a 53% completion percentage in the two games this year, uh, the two games this postseason. And, and on the road this year, he was 55% completion, a 70 QBR, and threw more interceptions and touchdowns. That's not a yeah. recipe for winning in Gillette. I know this defense is scary, but, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot more than a good defensive outing for, for the, the Jaguars on, on Sunday. Yeah, no, I agree with all that, but I will say that Bortles, uh, and, I, and I agree with you, he has not been good during the regular season, but during the two playoff games, he's actually been better than expected because we talked about now twice that Bortles threw five interceptions over the last two games of the regular season, and, of course, they lost both those games. But in the wild card game, he did not throw any interceptions. Again, he was very conservative, but in the uh, divisional playoffs, again, no interceptions, no turnovers by the Jags. You know, I mean, that's actually pretty impressive. And more impressive is that Bortles has actually really spread it around. 26 pass attempts, so not that many, 
but seven different players got at least two targets apiece. And I think avoiding turnovers and spreading it around against the Patriots 21, 21st ranked pass defense, you know, that might help. Now, is that going to be enough? I think they're going to have to get some Fournette, and I understand what you, your position that it's going to, a running back's not going to beat them, but they got to get him going. They got to get him going. Against Buffalo, 57 rush yards and 21 carries. He was anemic. Against Pittsburgh, way better. Averaged 4.4 yards per carry. He scored three times. You know, I know that's not going to happen against the Patriots, but the Patriots' run defense is ranked 30th in the uh, NFL. So, you know, I think that if they, if they have any hope of keeping up, they have to at least get Fournette going a little bit and take some of the pressure off Bortles. Because when Bortles is under pressure, he is horrible. He's horrific. And then that defense. Now, I, again, Jaguars, unstoppable defense at the beginning of the game against the, against the Steelers. Uh, but they eventually allowed 42 points. Yes, they had a fumble return touchdown we talked about. They had an INT near the red zone, which really was key, and the Jags actually winning the game. Uh, I doubt they're going to repeat that against the Patriots. Brady is not often intercepted. Patriots have way more firepower um, than the Steelers do even. So I think the Jags defense um, has to be – near perfect on Sunday if they want a chance to win. And now the Patriots on, on the Patriots side, again, the only thing I can say is that the run defense hasn't been great. Maybe they get Leonard Fournette going, but like you said, he's hampered by ankle injury. He also, as a side note, got into a fender bender today. Somebody rear-ended him in his car. The guy can't catch a break, uh, but he was healthy enough to drive home. You know, if they make, if the Pats make uh, the Jags uh, rely on Bortles to beat them, uh, Bortles will beat the Jags, not the Patriots. So I think that will be a, a real issue. And I also think that getting Deion Lewis going, uh, he obviously is the man there. I, I know that, that Bill Jack spreads it around. White got in on the action, and that's all good, fine and good. And I don't care if Gillisley and uh, Burkhead come back. Deion Lewis looks like the real deal to me. I think you got to keep him rolling. And as I said last week, the Jags only have the 26th-ranked run defense in the NFL, and they're only 15th against running back receptions. Deion Lewis does both of those things. Fantastically. All right. Current time, that prediction time, current line nine for the Patriots. What, what say you, what Patriots win? Did they cover the spread? So I'm not going to take, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to take Jacksonville with the points. Um, but I'll, but I had the Patriots winning this game. Um, you know, I just, I said this last week, you know, Derek Henry came off a 156 yard rushing, uh, performance. And how did he look on, on Saturday? Um, that Patriots run defense is undersold because they don't commit to the run against good teams with a good quarterback. They'd rather them check down to the run. Um, James Harrison's done a great job setting the edge since being there the last two weeks. Um, I thought he was phenomenal on, on, on Saturday night, um, turning, turning plays back up the middle. He had one where he just grabbed Derrick Henry by the back of the neck basically and took him down. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the, 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 the front seven's as healthy as it's been all year. Um, and I just think the Patriots have too much weapons. And, um, you know, Dan, uh, playoff Danny Amendola is a, is a real thing, and you saw that Saturday. Yeah. I, think he has a, I think he has a big game uh, as well as Deion Lewis, and I think the Pats win by a touchdown. Yeah, and Chris Hogan actually getting healthier again. I mean, he, we saw what he could do. Uh, and if he, if you know, obviously he was had a little rust, but he's going to be he's going to be even better. I, I just think that it'll be very difficult for the Jaguars to keep up. I agree with you. Patriots win. I will take the Jaguars with the points. Let's ring the bell on that one. Let's get over to the other side. NFC Conference Championship game: Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday at 6:40 p.m. Eastern Time. Wow, a lot of stuff here that I didn't expect to have to talk about at this time of the year. But tell me, what are your thoughts? Keys of the game, Vikings, Eagles. Keys of the game, uh, Nick Foles has to stop sucking for the Eagles. <laughs> um, okay. Like I said, that, that anemic, inept uh, 
Atlanta offense uh, couldn't do enough um, to, to win. Um, and that, that Eagles defense is good. They are. Uh, or, but, you know, um, you know, I, I would, you know, I personally believe that while the Falcons have more legitimized weapons, um, the, the Vikings have more, you know, weapons that have performed better this season. Um, I, you know, I, if you're telling me not, if I'm starting a franchise, I'm taking Julio Jones. If I'm taking yep. two guys from 2017, I'm taking Stephon Diggs and, Adam, and, uh, and Thielen above, uh, above uh, what Julio Jones did this year. They, I just think yeah. they were better players. Um, yep. So you got that. You know, I have a soft spot for Kyle Rudolph. Um, so Me I think too. the Vikings will get their points. And I think the Vikings have a better defense than the Eagles defense. I think that Vikings defense, um, you know, again, I don't put them on par. I don't think we have one of those all-time defenses this year. But I think that the Vikings defense is the best defense in football. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Jags rely on turnovers and, uh, and, and big plays. Uh, and you know, and uh, you know, and the sack and being aggressive. I, I think just from from front to back, um, you know, provided Xavier Rhodes can keep his head this week, um, they, you know, they're a, they're a better <laughs> a, a better defense. Um, you know, our, our guy Mackenzie Alexander, who we were yep. so high on, is number three yep. corner there. I mean, talk about an yeah. embarrassment of riches. Mackenzie Alexander is yep. your number three corner when he'd probably yeah. be uh, a top two, if not top one, on some teams. Um, so, you know, the Vikings are to come in and play their game. Um, they got to play, uh, you know, both sides got to play mistake-free. Um, but I think if Case Keenum plays a good game and the Vikings defense plays their game, that the Vikings win. Um, if, you know, for, for the Eagles to win, I think Nick Foles has to elevate and play a great game uh, with his defense playing a good game. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Nick Foles on, on Sunday. And I'll come in with some stats here and, and prove you right once again. The uh, Those Jaguars' defense is the number one overall defense by DVOA, according to footballoutsiders.com, but Vikings are number two. But if you break it down, the Jaguars have the number one pass defense and the number 26 run defense. It tells you that their pass defense does rely on a lot of turnovers in order to get the DVOA rating. If you look at the Vikings, they're great across the board. They're number two overall, but they're number four against the pass, number five against the run, number one against running back reception. So uh, the Vikings, I agree with you, is probably, in my book, the best defense in the league um, today and definitely the best defense that's in the, uh, in the playoffs and the conference championship games. Now, the question to me is, Case Keenum really that good? Um, I know we asked that question last week. And honestly, through almost four full quarters, he had zero touchdowns and an interception. You know, if it wasn't for that Diggs walk-off touchdown, we'd be a very different narrative on Case Keenum right now. Now, it didn't come out of nowhere. He did have the third-best passing offense in the NFL this season. But, you know, you got to wonder if that has to do with the schedule or is it, is it Keenum, is it anybody else? I mean, obviously, Thielen has been a great uh, safety blanket for him as well. Now, the other thing to talk about, and you said, you know, you have a soft spot for Rudolph. I do, too. I think everyone should this week because the Eagles are, have a great defense. Fourth-ranked defense overall. But... They are particularly vulnerable against tight ends. They're only ranked 17th defending including tight ends. Kyle Rudolph is one of the biggest red zone threats the Vikings have. I can see them having some serious success on targeting Rudolph in the red zone. Now, the Eagles side, you know, they said last week, go to Saturday, but we don't mean anything to us as far as we went from there. We don't know what Nick Foles is. He's like a box of chocolates. We don't know what we got until we open it. Uh, in the divisional playoff game, he really wasn't that good. He was the game manager. They won that game. But it really wasn't him. He didn't lose it to them. That's what he did. 23 of the three with 246 yards. They want a field goal. And I don't think field goal is going to be enough uh, to beat the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings defense is really, really good. I think the Eagles can 
on on more on more than one game. He did have the fumble, but you know honestly, two point six yards per carry is the best they got. And he had three receptions for forty four receiving yards. Well, here one, he got the touchdown, but he has an even two point one yards per carry. That is not good. Don't give him the ball. He's not good. So yeah, I think they've got to lean on Ajayi in order to loosen himself a little bit and get the ball some time to do something about it. All right, prediction time. Current line three for the Vikings. You think the Vikings win, lose, they cover the spread? What do you think? Yeah, so while I'm doing my take here, uh, sounds like your mic might have been shorting out a little bit, so I don't know if you want to try to unplug that and replug that for the final minute here. Uh, oh, but okay. for, for what I will uh, say for this weekend, um, I will take the Vikings and I will take them to cover. Um, I think Case Keenum actually played a much better game than his stats showed. Um, I thought he made a lot of good, tough passes in that game. Uh, the Saints secondary covered well. Um, I thought Case Keenum actually delivered in that game. But maybe I'm just rooting for, for the home team to be in it. My, uh, my, uh, my, my mom and my stepfamily uh, lives out in the, the Twin Cities. Um, so, so maybe it's just wishful thinking. But I'm taking the Vikings, and I'll take them to cover, uh, I'll say, 24-20. Yep, I agree with you. I think the Vikings will win. I think they'll cover. And I think the Vikings get to the, the Super Bowl in their home stadium. It'll be really exciting to see that. All right. That's all the time we got. We're going to go ahead and ring the bell on this episode. Why don't you go ahead and do your Instagram and uh, Twitter for people to follow you. Yeah, so a quick announcement. I will actually uh, be at the Super Bowl. Not at the game, but I will be down in Super Bowl Village that weekend as I say that my family lives out there. All so right. you can follow me on Instagram, football underscore garbage underscore time, and look out for my live stories from Super Bowl Village. Uh, the weekend of the Super Bowl. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ryan Whitfield NE, and make sure to check out my boys at Drafting Sleepers, uh, DraftingSleepers.com, uh, the home or the social network for fantasy sports. All right, follow me at Garden next week. And next week I'll try not to drop an F bomb. <laughs>